Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Hi everyone, thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Samantha Rainierson, a cake artist, wife, mother, and Crohn's warrior since 2012. She's here to share her journey with Crohn's and how she's learned to balance family, pursuing her passions, and life with IBD. Thank you so much for joining me today, Samantha, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. This is be a good conversation. Yes. So, so we know that every Crohn's and colitis story is different. Why don't you start by telling me your Crohn's story when you had your first flare and how your diagnosis came about? Yeah. Okay. So, um, like you said in the intro, my story kind of started in 2012. Um, it was kind of at the end of the year in 2011. Um, I had just turned 20 in December. Uh, I was living with my best friend, Katie, at the time. And she was kind of actually the one who alerted me and kind of noticed like that I wasn't really eating. And I was like dramatically losing weight. Um, but when I was eating, my stomach would hurt. So I guess just my, my mind and my body was like adjusting to like running on nothing. Um, mm-hmm. and then after, after the new year in 2012, uh, she came home and I was just laying in my bed in the fetal position, just mm-hmm. crying and moaning. And I felt like I could like barely breathe. Um, and she kept asking me if I needed anything and I just kept telling her I didn't. Um, right. <laughs> but obviously, obviously she wasn't believing me. And after probably like another hour, um, and I wasn't letting her sleep because she could hear me. She finally came in with her car keys in her hand and she said, Aww. okay, you're either getting in my car and we're going to the ER or I'm calling you an ambulance. Like you do not have a choice. That is a so, good friend. <laughs> yes, she is the best. Um, so I obviously chose the car route because ambulance right. rides are <laughs> Exactly. Um, I wish I could say that that emergency room trip gave me any sort of clarity, but if anything, I think it confused me more. They sent me on my way with antibiotics and told me that I had a UCI, which Mm -hmm. anybody that's a female knows that they don't normally give you antibiotics for UTI. Exactly. (laughs) So um, I had made a follow-up appointment with my doctor and she took a bunch of lab work. Um, so initially, um, my diagnosis was severe anemia, like to the point where all my organs had started to like shut down. Wow. So they tried to get me to take a bunch of iron pills, but I could not keep those down for like the life of me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I got a, a pneumonia diagnosis. So that took, uh, four rounds of antibiotics to get rid of. Wow. How um, long then, was how long was all this taking from the time you went so, into the emergency room to all these misdiagnoses? So, yeah, so this was probably a good three to four month period. Um and so finally um my doctor was like, you know, we're just gonna do do a colonoscopy because you can't keep food down. I couldn't keep the iron pills down. Um <laughs> And I wish that I could say that that was when I started to get help. Um, but mm. literally, they told me that I had severe inflammation in my intestines. And then I was referred to a hematologist for the anemia. That's all they did. And I'm from like oh, a wow. very, I'm from a very rural town. So not a whole lot to go on. You know, they don't normally see, mm-hmm. you know, severe inflammation in a 20 year old. So they had no clue. Um, And I, I actually saw that hematologist for a little bit under a year. So my health kept going up and down, up and down. And the whole time um, I had actually started college that January. So Mm -hmm. I was college full time. I was working 35 hours a week. um, 
And then finally the hematologist that I was seeing left and they gave me a new one. And that first visit with him was like my first and my only. And he literally looked over all of my records and he was like, I really don't understand why you're with hematology. So he referred me to a gastroenterologist and being being in a rural area, I had to travel an hour. (laughs) Um, Um, So nothing was easy. (laughs) No, all while going to classes and anybody who's been through culinary school or baking, like baking a pastry, uh, like our labs are four to six hours, sometimes longer. So having to go to doctor's appointments all the time is a struggle. Um, but yeah, I saw that gastro, um, it took a couple months to get in like any gastro does. And, um, he kind of looked over my stuff and he pointed out, you know, they have down on your colonoscopy that you have severe inflammation. He's like, that, that's not just anything. He's like, that's Crohn's disease. So it's in the name of (laughs) inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah. (laughs) So he was like, we'll just do a small bowel series to be sure. And sure enough, by that point, um, it still showed inflammation. So a year later, and then it also had showed, uh, narrowing in my intestines. So voila, I finally got that Crohn's Mm -hmm. disease diagnosis after about a, it was a little over a year of getting a runaround from a bunch of different doctors. Wow, how frustrating. And had your symptoms been getting worse the entire time? So it it was kind of like a a teeter-totter. Like one day I would be feeling Mm -hmm. fine, next day I would be feeling really bad. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know how I like managed it looking back now. Like I have no clue how I went to school full-time, worked like 35 hours a week Mm -hmm. and somehow managed to get a 4.0 through college. Like I just have (laughs) no clue. Just pure grit. I guess. (laughs) So did you start to get some relief once you finally got to the gastroenterologist and started to see him and they identified, yes, it's Crohn? Did they start, did things start going better from there? Yes. So I had a, a pretty, a pretty good GI at that point. Um, He started me on Pentassa um, and that seemed to help pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. I mean, within a couple months, I was feeling good. Um, You know, I had turned 21 at this point. And you know, I wanted to have a drink every now and then. So Mm -hmm. I was finally able to kind of manage that a little bit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But you know, Crohn's is pretty unpredictable. So that that I wish I could just say I was on Pentassa forever, but that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I like I like to say every time I think I'm getting control of Crohn's, it likes to remind me that oh, it's still here. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so tell me where you're at now with your Crohn's because you've been battling. It's been about seven years now, and mm-hmm. kind of good and bad, good and bad. But you recently posted on your Instagram that. Your inflammation levels are actually 500% higher this year than last year, but yet you put on a big smile and you push through the day. (laughs) So tell me, how does Crohn's affect your day-to-day life and how are you working to manage it right now? Yeah, so um, I think the biggest thing with like day-to-day is you kind of just wake up and you have no idea how the day is going to go. So there's like a level of uncertainty on how everything's going to pan out. And like you said, I'm pretty good at like smiling through a ton of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did have a resection surgery in 2017 um, just because the stricture around my ilium had gotten to be about the size of a straw. Mm. So everything was having to basically jam through a straw to move through my system. So I kept having recurring obstructions. So I was kind of always on a liquid or a soft diet just to avoid ending up in the hospital. So Mm -hmm. that surgery for me was like life changing. I mean, I remember being able to eat something afterwards for the first time that like my stomach didn't hurt afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I sobbed on my couch and then, which in turn made my incision hurt, but that was like a pain. That was like a pain that I was totally fine with dealing with. Yeah. Um, and I've been on Stellara for about two years now. I started it 
um, before my surgery, actually. And um, I was diagnosed in remission, actually, in March of 2018. Um, but at this point, with my inflammation levels, like you said, they're 500% higher than last year at this time. Uh, we're kind of not sure if it's really working. So um, last March, when I was told I was in remission, I did ask to be taken off of uh, azathioprine. Mm-hmm. So Imuran for people that don't know it by that name. Um, mm-hmm. Just because uh, my husband and I really want to, you know, grow our family. And that's one of the, you know, maybe it's a no-no baby drug. They're still not like positive, but we wanted to yeah. be more safe than sorry type of thing. Um, and then uh, as far as other like daily things, um, I've struggled with anxiety basically since... I would say when I started getting sick in 2011, 2012. Um, So I do use a lot of like essential oils. Um, I take turmeric every day. Mm -hmm. I take a supplement. I drink tea. Um, I take a bunch of probiotics, multivitamins. Uh, My husband does call me. Go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, have you noticed different improvements? Like when you take the turmeric, do you notice, do you have to take certain amounts and then you notice improvements or some of the tea, what kind of things does it help with? Yeah. So, um, for me, one of my more recent symptoms, I would say that started, uh, probably a few months before surgery. So when my, when my symptoms were pretty, pretty heavy and pretty bad daily, um, I started taking the turmeric and I noticed it was helping with my joint pain because that was a new Mm -hmm. symptom for me that I wasn't used to. Um, and I used to just chalk it up to, you know, getting older. I thought that was a normal thing, but my <laughs> GI was like, no, that's actually a Crohn's symptom. So the turmeric's helped with that. So when I'm having more joint pain, I'll usually double or triple it just to like, and I've definitely noticed a difference. Um, that's good. The essential, the essential oils also like there's so many things out there that those are used for. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they've basically curbed my anxiety. I was able to go off of anxiety medication about a year ago. Um, which, my husband which calls oils me a witch. Did you... oh. <laughs> I'm his like little, little witch. <laughs> a little cauldron mixing up your oils. and <laughs> Yes, definitely. <laughs> which ones do you find help with anxiety? So I like the more woodsy scents. So like the cedar wood, uh, Northern Light, Northern Lights, like black spruce. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of other ones that I can't think of at the moment, but lavender is great. Um, and there's also uh, a blend that Young Living makes. It's called Stress Stress Away, and that is like my lifeline. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm writing it down. I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, Stress away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so, and then, Reese, I know I wanted to pick your brain. Maybe we can talk offline about this. Yeah. But I've been looking into CBD oil recently. I haven't mm-hmm. like taken the plunge because I haven't had much time to do a lot of research. So sometime yeah. I would like to pick your brain on that. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll kind of... Um comment a little bit on it now because I'm sure people who are listening are probably curious. It's mm-hmm. something, you know, years ago I had heard about CBD oil, but I'm sure like a lot of fellow Crohn's and colitis warriors out there, everyone has a cure for us. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> everyone, every well-intentioned friend and family member, you know, wants to tell me, take this or take that, just do this and you'll be fine. And and they don't understand. And so years ago, I had someone tell me, take CBD oil. And I just thought it was another snake oil. So I never paid attention. But this past year, a few months ago, really, I decided to finally go ahead and and try it. And I did some research and I learned there's a huge learning curve. And so it depends mm-hmm. on the quality, if it's full spectrum versus just pure. So I went with a brand called Indoka because it's a full spectrum and it's a raw hemp oil. So everything I had learned online that I could Google and search was saying that for Crohn's and IBD, the full spectrum was better because it has this synergistic effect where everything just works 
in combination the way it's supposed to. So I started taking a small dose and I didn't really notice the difference. And then I ended up having to take a fairly large dose, which is about 50 milligrams in the morning and 50 milligrams at night. And that I think is the level of the CBD and CBDA that's in there. And that actually has helped with my my symptoms are typically like bloody mucus and kind of looser stools. And mm-hmm. I was starting to have some of that come back and CBD oil actually helped. So that's I'm a awesome. big, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent of the CBD and unrelated. I have this little spot on my arm. The dermatologist called it a seboric keratosis. Not sure what that meant, but it's just a growth. It fell off. <laughs> so, oh, wow. It, uh, yeah, it kind of just, you know, it looked like a baby mole, but it kind of scabbed over and fell off. So it made me believe that it's aligning or doing something in my body that is good. So that's so amazing. That's, that's <laughs> I'm definitely little... going to be looking into that more. <laughs> I mean, my, uh, my parents, um, you know, they're amazing. And that's like, they keep sending me things like, have you tried mm-hmm. this? Have you tried this? Have you yeah. tried this? So they're, they're the best though. So I know they have the best intentions. <laughs> yeah. My dad's like that too. He's like, have you tried these magnetic bracelets and <laughs> you know, everything under the sun, but, and I tried it all. So <laughs> I, I've been you know, there. Who knows if it's going to work? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So how do you, do you find, let's jump back to essential oils for a minute because, mm-hmm. um, you know, with Crohn's, there's a lot of, obviously a lot of setbacks. We do well. And then there's setbacks. Do you find that essential oils are beneficial when you start having a setback or start having symptoms flare up? Do they help? Cause you said they help with anxiety. So I'm thinking maybe they help kind of when I know I get frustrated or slightly depressed when. Mm-hmm. Crohn symptoms start to come back. How do you deal with that? Yeah. So, um, so for me, when my symptoms start to come back, I immediately start stressing out and stress is one of my triggers. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. <laughs> so it's definitely, I think like, even though I might not be treating my Crohn's symptoms as much with the oils, I'm actually helping my Crohn's symptoms because I'm treating the potential stress that I would be having mm-hmm. by reducing my anxiety. So it makes sense to me. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a cyclical, like a circ. It's just kind of goes it's like goes in this pattern. So it's like, I start to have symptoms. I get very stressed out. I get anxious and then I make things worse. But now it's kind of like, I feel myself getting stressed out. I know I have a few tools in my back pocket that help me manage the stress or make me feel a little more in control of it and control my anxiety. So I'm not Mm -hmm. stressing as much over my symptoms returning, if that makes sense. (laughs) It definitely does. And I think to a lot of people just like us with Crohn's and colitis, I think it'll make sense to them too, um, because we've all been there. What type of, what type of things do you find help your stress? Are there certain activities bubble bath? (laughs) How do you you relax? (laughs) Um, So yeah, so stress being a huge trigger for me. um, uh, I do find it sometimes it is hard because it's an inevitable thing. So I'm always going to have some sort of stress in my life. Um, And one of the things that I've learned to just finally be okay with is there that there are days that I just need to have a good cry and let everything go. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, um, trying to manage it, it's more like I like having a plan for every day. Like I could tell mm-hmm. you what I have planned going on every night after work, uh, what my plans are every weekend for the next two months. <laughs> um, and I even like plan myself time for like nothingness as I like to call it. So I just get to do nothing. (laughs) Um, And a little thing that I've been trying mostly is newer to me this year is I've been trying to set aside just a little bit of time, you know, half hour or so every day 
for just myself mm-hmm. for some self-care so like you said a bubble bath um I love reading so reading a chapter in a book um I might watch an episode of The Bachelor <laughs> um mm-hmm. something that's just for myself and then I've also found that when I do get a good exercise routine going it does also help alleviate some of that stress because I can kind of put all my stress into my workout, get it all out, and then I'm more relaxed afterwards. So I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want my exercise routine to kind of be because I love running, but it's really hard on Mm -hmm. my joints. And yes, I love yoga, but I'm pretty uncoordinated. (laughs) So (laughs) there is just I'm trying to figure out a good, you know, mix and match. And that's kind of what I've been doing is it's like I might do yoga one day, I might go to the gym and lift, I might go for a run if it's nice out. So it's kind of been figuring out, you know, something that's going to work. And then I can also kind of mm-hmm. tailor that to how stressed out I am. If I'm really stressed, I might go run for two miles because I just want to mm-hmm. hit the pavement hard and keep going. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed exercise really helps me too. And I don't know if there's some sort of physiological reason for it, but I do feel I feel stronger. Definitely helps my stress, which we all know exercise is good for that. So mm-hmm. it's definitely I think it's definitely underrated in Crohn's management. (laughs) Yeah. And I will say I have the GI that I have now is absolutely amazing. And that's one question she like asks me every time is what am I doing for exercise? What am I doing to get myself moving every day? And Mm -hmm. she's definitely given me a different outlook on it because I'm like, what do you mean? I'm in pain. I don't want to do anything. She's like, we got to do something. (laughs) You only got one body. (laughs) Got to use it. (laughs) Yeah. So do you feel like throughout all of this, um, you've definitely had a fair amount of challenges. Do you feel like you've gained any control over your Crohn's? So this is a great question. I definitely feel like there's times when I've been in the, like been the one in control of my disease. Um, I would say definitely after my surgery. Uh, I think I'd be lying if I said that I always feel like I'm in control of it. Um, cause mm-hmm. there's, there's definitely times when it gets extremely discouraging, like how, like when I'm, how I'm feeling doesn't match up with the lab work or the tests or mm-hmm. like when I'm taking really good care of myself and I'm listening to my body. And so I plan something that's exciting and fun with friends and family. And then like Crohn's, like you said, decides to join the party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm definitely still learning how to feel more in control. But I think as I've, you know, gotten older and, you know, I'm reaching out and connecting with other people and seeing what works for them, it's helping me get more of a broader picture on, you know, well, if this doesn't work, I can try this. And it's always nice mm-hmm. to have like, that next thing because when I started to fail Remicade, it was almost like, girl, there's nothing left for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was and then, you know, Solara had come on the market and that was my next thing. And you know, then it was like, well if this doesn't work, you know, we're running out of options. And now there's Intivio and Simzia and there's a whole bunch of other stuff now. And so I think just having that like Knowing that in the back of my head, knowing that if something doesn't work, there's more things coming. It's kind of helped me get, you know, a better feel for, okay, I might be feeling bad now, but there's something coming and I'll figure it out. (laughs) Right. Well, speaking of what works, tell me what are some of the things that you have found works for you when you start going into a flare or when symptoms start to come up? Okay. So one of the biggest things that I've learned is listening to my body. So I've, I've totally been that person that's feeling like absolute garbage should probably be in a hospital. And I just push myself and I push myself until I wind up in a hospital or passed out. Yeah. Um, but now with like experience under my belt, like I know that if I do that, I'm generally setting myself back further and making my flare longer. So taking a rest um, when my body needs it is definitely 
something that I've like learned to do. Uh, so now like if I'm flaring, you might find me curled up on the couch with my heating pad and some hot tea and a good book or Netflix. Um, and then the other thing is just like, when I feel like I can't handle it myself at home, I stop trying. Like that's mm-hmm. when I know I need to go get checked out because I, at this point, I'd rather know what's going on um, than just assuming that it's something normal for mm-hmm. me or for my Crohn's. So that's kind of my thing is like listening to my body, getting help when I need it and just like learning to, you know, kind of relax. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I think that's important. And I don't think we can reiterate that enough, how important it is, because it seems the more and more people I talk to that it's really common for those of us with Crohn's and colitis to push ourselves um, and just keep pushing ourselves. And <laughs> we we seem to have a problem resting and listening to our bodies. And so it's it's really important to to learn how to do that. I know it took me a long time to finally learn how to say, all right, let's rest. <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know Absolutely. what it is with us. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like communicating too, like, um, you know, my husband is amazing and I don't think I could ever do life without him. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, one of the, like, I think pivotal, pivotal moments in, our marriage was, um, during my surgery consultation appointment, you know, I wanted him there cause I was nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, and he usually didn't go to a whole lot of GI appointments with me just cause I was like, we both don't need to miss work. It's fine. You know, we need the money and we have a kid. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I was, the surgeon was asking me all these questions and I was very honest. I mean, the questions of, how many days a week are you at a seven or above on the paint scale? How many days a week are you this? You know, how often are you going to the bathroom? And I was just answering everything honestly. And I look over at my husband and he just had this, this look on his face. Like I had been lying to him for years. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think that was a pivotal, just a pivotal moment for us with me realizing okay, I guess I'm not the best communicator when I'm not feeling good. So that's definitely something I've kind of learned to do is just communicate with him better. Um, I mean, after that, he definitely treated me like a broken piece of China for a while, but (laughs) (laughs) uh, we've gotten through that now. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Well, what's the biggest challenge you've faced since you've had Crohn's? All right. So for me, this is something that I, I don't normally talk about. And there's a couple things um, that kind of go through my head when I think of like the biggest challenge. Um, but definitely, I think the biggest overall is that uh, with my IBD, it's been that I haven't been allowed to grow my family. So mm-hmm. My daughter wasn't a planned pregnancy. It just kind of happened. My husband and I were still in college. I walked my college graduation nine months pregnant. (laughs) Um, Wow. But my husband and I always wanted a big family. We were planning on having at least three kids, if not more. Um, So after my daughter, after I had her and my health kind of just kept going downhill and my symptoms kept getting worse. Um, I was told that it wasn't a good idea to have another baby anytime soon. So mm-hmm. I waited and I waited. And in that time frame, you know, I went through a lot with my Crohn's disease and every doctor I know, like every doctor I see knows that like we're dying to have another baby. Um, and it does seem like every time we get that, like the green light, like we'll try it, we'll track. And then you know, we'll get discouraged and then something happens and we're right back to having the red light for my doctors. But yeah. one of the hardest things is like everybody asks every family event, every play date, anything that involves kids, we get asked when the next one's coming and it, mm-hmm. it hurts me. And I'd be lying if I said it didn't, you know, sometimes yeah. I can, sometimes I can laugh it off and cry later. Um, and sometimes I'll actually admit that it's because of me that we, you know, haven't been able to have one. And 
I would say that that's still a challenge that I'm learning to cope with. Um, but I do keep reminding myself, like everything happens for a reason. Like when we got pregnant with my daughter, I did not understand why it was happening then. Like we weren't married yet. We were both still in school. It was a crazy time. Um, but looking Mm -hmm. back, like I know she happened at that exact moment she was supposed to. So I know that I'm extremely blessed to have her and I, Really do hope that one day I'll finally get that go ahead and that we can uh, promote her to a big sister. (laughs) Yeah, because she's about to go into kindergarten, correct? Yes, it's crazy to think she starts kindergarten next year. (laughs) That's awesome. She's cute. I've seen the the pictures that you post of her. She's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) She's my little mini me. How do you, um, is it difficult when you're trying to care for yourself, but also care for your daughter? How are you able to juggle life with IBD and life with being a mom? What kind of strategies do you have for the other moms out there? (laughs) Oh boy. I don't know if you would uh, call them strategies per se. Um, (laughs) Winging it. (laughs) Yeah, I would say I mostly wing it. Um, So like, I would say one of the you know, some, one of the things I know I've mentioned, like the mental health aspect, but like, I would say when it comes to being a mom, that's also something that like messes with my head. Cause like when I feel like I'm not feeling well and I have to take the time to myself, I sometimes get in that, you know, I'm not a good mom. I can't be doing this with mm-hmm. her. And, you know, and sometimes our family's focus gets to be on me instead of her. Um, and mm-hmm. then there are the times where I literally just kind of give it my all and put a smile on my face until she's snuggled up in bed and then, you know, cry to my husband later. <laughs> um, yeah. But I would say a tip for that is just communicating with your kid. So mm-hmm. it amazes me how much a kid can understand at such a young, young age. When I was uh, prepping for surgery, I was so nervous about it. I was so nervous how she would be. Um, you know, I sat down with her, I made her like a mommy's little helper care package. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I had a couple books about like when mommy's sick and needs to stay in bed and stuff about the hospital. Um, I also made her a teddy bear that, um, I hand stitch stitches on its belly and I put an NG tube in it. (laughs) Um, I just wanted her to be like active in my recovery and kind of understand as well as she could what was happening. So yeah, because she was only she had to have been three. She was maybe about time. Yeah, she was three. Um, You know, so mommy, she because she had been with me when I um, I was in the hospital for nine days with a a bowel obstruction at one point, and I Mm -hmm. that. I think the NG tube, that was the whole reason for the teddy bear tube, because she saw me that day and like cried. She didn't understand why I had things coming out of me. You know, she'd yeah. never seen me in that sort of environment. So I wanted her to you know, understand it as well as she could and know that like I was going to be okay. So yeah. I would just say, you know, a tip, a tips would be making sure you make time for yourself. Don't get in your own head. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, we're all out here winging it <laughs> and yeah. we're doing the we best are, we can. Really. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say don't be afraid to share with your your kids as, as young, like as young as you want. Because I mean, literally, I didn't think I would ever talk about poop so much with a four year old. But when you have yeah. Crohn's disease, <laughs> I mean, I'm very open about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, <laughs> might as well break the stigma with her. You know, if boys don't like it when she's 13 talking about poop, then they can just walk on because they're not meant to be in our life. <laughs> exactly. This is a family that talks about poop. <laughs> yes. Like, please get over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good tips. Do you talk with her? Now, do you tell her about Crohn's and what it is? Do you go into more details now that she's getting a little bit older and understanding more? Yeah, so I think I'm, I haven't necessarily went into, you know, Crohn's, like the specifics. I think that's still a little, you know, 
above until her she has age. some yeah like you know explaining what's going on in your intestines and stuff i think is a little <laughs> above yeah. her but she does understand you know sometimes when i eat i have stomach pain afterwards or mm-hmm. uh, you know sometimes mommy can't get off the couch for the day and things like that yeah um, but i think the one thing i've kind of focused on is you know making those comments about you know invisible illnesses and chronic illnesses and explaining things like that more in general if you never know what somebody's going through so you know she might you know see somebody in a grocery store in a wheelchair and ask me about it and we'll go through and we'll look up you know famous people in wheelchairs and talk about you know how normal it is and how you never know what somebody's going through so yeah I think that's I'm hoping to shape her into a super just amazing human that understands that, you know, everybody's different. Everybody has things that they're going through and sometimes you can't always see it. So I think, you know, as a parent with a chronic illness, that's kind of our, that should be part of our job is to raise them with a more a more open heart and an open mind to things like that. That's fantastic. She'll have that compassion. Mm-hmm. So I want so I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to talk mm-hmm. about your passion for baking. So first, tell me, how did you get this passion for baking, <laughs> and what did it stem from? Because it'll lead okay. into my next questions. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so baking. So a little bit of background. Um, Growing up, I think I was whipping up batches of cookies at like age seven. Um, mm-hmm. My dad, my dad taught me so much about cooking and ingredients, and I would help him with dinner, and he would teach me how to make a delicious meal out of like when I was always like, "There's nothing to eat." <laughs> so, uh-huh. um, in high school, I um, had joined a culinary arts curriculum. So I was literally in a kitchen for at least two hours a day. Um, usually, I would skip some more classes to be there more. Um, but I always <laughs> thought that I was going to end up being a chef at a fancy restaurant. So um, when I graduated high school, I was uh, one of 25 students that were select that was selected for the. Uh, it's called the Congress Bundestag Youth Exchange. Um, mm-hmm. In Germ in German, it's called the Parliamentarisches Patenschaftsprogramm. So wow. <laughs> it's a scholarship uh, exchange program for students that are mostly interested in technical fields uh, to live in Germany for an entire year, go to school, uh, immerse themselves in the German culture, and kind of do internships. So that year not only gave me like clarity that I was in the right field, but it also helped me narrow down that my passion was more than just like being a chef. It was more specifically like the fine tuned skills and preciseness that is baking and pastry. So mm-hmm. I, I changed my major uh, from culinary arts to baking and pastry when I returned back home in the U.S. Um, and mm-hmm. I ended up having to take a semester off in between my return home and college because I just didn't have time to get all the funds together for the fall. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was also during that time when I was changing my major that I found out from my family that uh, my great grandmother was a pastry chef at a local hotel. (laughs) So it kind of like, so it like solidified in me that I was like doing the right thing. And maybe it was like genetic. (laughs) Meant to be, it's in your genes. (laughs) Yeah. So I started college in that January, 2012, which if you call mm -hmm. us like when everything, everything went crazy. (laughs) Well, and then did you end up finishing the, the bakery is it the culinary degree or is it different if it's chef versus bakery or? Yeah. So it's a baking and pastry major. So, um, I went to Pennsylvania college of technology, um, in Pennsylvania, obviously in uh, this Mm -hmm. little town called Williamsport. And so they have a culinary arts program. They have hospitality management, baking and pastry, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a bunch of other stuff, but it's an amazing, it's an amazing school. 
Um, so yeah, I graduated nine months pregnant, um, but all through college, um, I graduated uh, probably one of the top people in my class. I was student of the month. I was in like all the extracurriculars. Um, mm-hmm. And after, after my maternity leave and I graduated college, um, I did land a full-time baking job. Um, and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> awesome. So now tell me, because I, I asked all that, because in one of your recent posts, you had mentioned that Crohn's almost robbed you of your dream. And so you were talking about the baking. And I want to ask, what made you realize that Crohn's or not, you needed to pursue this passion? Yeah. So for people that don't follow me on Instagram, I can give a little like background of that. So like I said, like I had landed that full-time baking job and um, like being in a kitchen, I just like my creative juices are flowing. I love everything about it. The science behind how the ingredients work together and just like how every single baker and pastry chef get to have like their own niche. So it's just a great industry. Um, and I was like so excited to be a part of it. But having a kid kind of like changed my outlook on life a lot. So when I started to fall ill and my symptoms came back with vengeance, uh, in the past, I would have just kept, you know, trucking along, pushing it myself till I broke. Mm -hmm. But I knew that it was time that I made sure I took care of myself because I had a little baby who kind of relied on me to keep her alive now. And uh, mama had to be, mama had to be well. So, um, I left my full-time baking job and I found an office job and I was extremely bitter about it. Um, Mm -hmm. I did great. I did great at my office job. My bosses were amazing, but (laughs) I was extremely bitter that my IBD affected my ability to do what I wanted with my life. So I stopped baking. Um, Mm -hmm. for quite a long time. So my husband can vouch that when I was asked to do a cake kind of in this time frame, I would do it, but I was dropping F-bombs and crying in the kitchen when something went wrong. And like, Mm -hmm. I felt like I didn't have enough time to make everything perfect. Um, But then kind of about, it was about a year ago now, um, there was kind of like two events that really got me back into it. And the first was a phone call that I got on a Thursday from some random stranger who said she got my number from a friend and she needed a cake for Saturday for her son who she forgot to order a birthday cake. So anybody who's worked in a bakery or in a grocery store bakery, you know, people come in Friday night at five and want a cake Friday night at six. Like, <laughs> but like you usually get turned down. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Um, this wasn't just like a plain cake. Like it wasn't something she could go pick out of like the Wegmans case. So, mm-hmm. um, she wanted a cake with fondant decorations and everything. And I almost said no, but then I was like, dang, my, my friend thinks I can pull off a miracle. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I don't know why, but I was like, I might as well try. So I did, and it was literally one of the best fondant cakes I've ever done. Um, and every day I kept showing the pictures too, I was very impressed. So that like kind of lit a fuel for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Netflix actually released uh, their newest season at that point of Chef's Table. And it was an entire season about pastry chefs. And first up was uh, Christina Tozzi. She's the founder of Milk Bar in New York City. And she's basically like the pioneer of the naked cake. Um, mm-hmm. And she's just like a straight up badass. Hopefully I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> you can say um, it. <laughs> uh, but one of her messages in that documentary is about how it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there, but you just have to keep trying and keep going. So for me, that mm-hmm. message kind of clicked. So, you know, my Crohn's might have taken away that job. And that moment and that time frame of me baking, Mm -hmm. but it was now my turn to take it back. So I've come back from that, that period of time with so much more passion for baking. And I just have this like, I'm itching to keep learning. Um, And my ultimate goal is that I am going to have my own cake studio one day. So I'm 
been working towards that, building clientele, trying to figure out everything I will need to get done to be that and do that full time. So that's kind of, that is, that's my passion behind everything. (laughs) That is awesome. And honestly, I think it's so important to have a passion like that because it, it kind of negates all the stress we have in our day when there's such a, when there's something that you can look so forward to that really ignites that fire and gets you revved up, I think it's important to find those things and go after them. So I'm yeah, excited definitely. to hear that you, <laughs> that you are baking and you are back to doing that. And yes. we'll just throw it in here for anyone that's in, you're in the Pittsburgh area, is that correct? Or? <laughs> yep, that's correct. <laughs> okay, so if anyone is in the Pittsburgh area and needs a cake, they can go to cakedbyrhino.com, correct? <laughs> that's correct. And Rhino is R-Y, <laughs> it's R-Y-N-O. It's a, it's a spinoff of our last name of Rhinerson. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes so they can just click right on it. Perfect. Now, I have tell- an Instagram page for it too, but it's not as oh, like... Okay. It's not as full as like the website is at the moment. Well, we'll put them all in the show notes. Okay. (laughs) So I'm curious, this is a perfect segue because pastry and baking, those are cookies. (laughs) I love, I love chocolate chip cookies, but those are, sugar is my worst trigger and chocolate is evil for me, but I love it so much. So how do you deal with food is are the things you make, are they triggers for you? <laughs> How do you balance that? <laughs> so I've kind of gotten to this point where I'm okay-ish with everything in moderation. So, you know, when I first was in college and going through baking labs and stuff, like instead of trying a little bite of everything, I was eating one of everything. Like mm-hmm. I would eat, you know, basically a whole cake or (laughs) something. Mm -hmm. So at this point now, you know, I do have to try everything I make because that would be rude if I didn't um, because I'm feeding it to people. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's kind of in moderation now. So, you know, I'll try it and I'll have my husband try it. And sometimes I have my daughter try it. And that's kind of like, you know, they're my biggest critics. Like, so (laughs) that's kind of where I've gotten with that. But yeah, it's funny, like, I, like, just from listening to your podcast, I'm just so amazed at how different everybody's trigger foods are. So like, I know, like, you can't eat anything sweet or like chocolate chips or anything like that. Whereas for me, they're not so bad. They don't really bother me. Um, I'm jealous. (laughs) I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll just figure out a carnivore. It's all right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But for me, I guess, uh, like, so some of my like food triggers are uh, spicy food. So I Mm -hmm. cannot do anything spicy, which sucks because I love jalapeno poppers. (laughs) Um, Oh, my. My husband makes those all the time. He loves them oh, too. <laughs> they're so good. Um, dairy products are kind of a hit or a miss. Um, mm-hmm. For a really long time, I just thought I was like lactose intolerant. Um, but when my symptoms are under control, like I can stomach a bowl of ice cream or something. So mm-hmm. um, one of the one of the biggest things before surgery was any leafy vegetables, which I know is similar to you. So oh, I could not eat salad. Yeah. Like salad was off of the table for a few years. Um, And now that I've had my resection surgery and I have pictures of what, how small the stricture was, I'm like, how did lettuce ever get through that? Like, I don't understand. (laughs) It wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. That's why so so much pain. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But one of my weirdest trigger foods I figured out was raw peaches. Um, Oh. Yeah, so like I could eat them cooked if they're in like a cobbler or something. Um, but somebody did suggest to me that it might be the pesticides that get left in the fuzz because you can never really wash them out. So oh, I've been too scared. I've been too scared to try anymore. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'm forgetting some of them, like some of my trigger foods. But 
I do. I do notice. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, go ahead. You go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, as far as like how I eat now, um, I did. I do feel pretty decent if I do like a a modified like paleo type diet. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's super hard to maintain, uh, with a family. So I used to find myself making two meals every night. Um, so I'd make the paleo one for me and a normal one for my husband and my daughter, cause I'm the cook in the family. Um, but it was Mm -hmm. just like, so time consuming and it obviously got to be pretty expensive. So that's kind of where my like moderation and everything has kind of gone. (laughs) So you know, mm-hmm. kind of just depends on how I'm feeling. So, in that way, you're if I'm that having you're thing, a, that way you're able to make one meal for the family, but you can just moderate certain things that you're eating. Is that kind of how you do it now? Then, yeah. So for meals, it's you know, if my husband wants a salad, I'll eat the meat and some of the toppings and. Mm-hmm. things like that but maybe not the whole salad or I'll eat with way less lettuce or something so it's kind of like moderating or like kind of just making little changes to what we're eating instead of making two separate meals <laughs> <laughs> yeah now did you ever keep a food <laughs> did you ever keep a food journal or anything to help identify triggers or was it fairly easy for you to get a handle on what were good foods versus not good foods yeah, I definitely kept a food journal. So if you don't know your trigger foods, um, I would definitely say that's like the first place to start because you'll look back at it and you'll definitely see patterns. So for me, you know, that was kind of how I figured out dairy um, and the lettuce thing. That was kind of how I figured those two things mm-hmm. out. Um, and that was also how I figured out my safe foods. So uh, my safe foods are basically all the unhealthy carbs so white bread (laughs) rice toast mashed potatoes um and then like i can throw in some bananas and like applesauce so all the mushy Mm -hmm. or (laughs) carbs (laughs) so that was kind of how i figured those things out though was using a food journal and there's some pretty decent ones um i know they've come out with since then like for your phone which is nice yeah i uh when i was first uh, diagnosed in dealing with my Crohn's probably, I guess it's been however many years, 12 plus years. So I just wrote it on Mm -hmm. a little steno notepad, you know, just a little notebook. And I had that. And I remember Mm -hmm. my very first gastroenterologist that I ever had when I was first starting to go through the diagnosis process. And I came in one day and I had this big giant notebook and he was asking me these questions. And then I started flipping through my notebook and trying to reference, you know, I'm like, well, let me, you know, trying to find the answers to things he was asking. He's like, do you have it all written down there? I was like, yes, I do. He's like, let me see this. <laughs> he, was very, awesome. <laughs> he was very impressed by my, my bathroom notes and my food notes. And mm-hmm. it was all in this little journal that I didn't want anyone. It was my worst fear that someone would find this journal that had oh, all yeah. my bowel movement descriptions in there and <laughs> what are okay did, I used to have like code words I used to have like code words for things because I was like gosh <laughs> if somebody ever finds this thing they're gonna like yeah. admit me <laughs> <laughs> who's keeping track of this <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's funny so I do want to ask um because we talk about how we're hiding the embarrassing things we're writing about, but we're obviously sharing them now. So what made you, <laughs> yeah. what, what compelled you to become an IBD advocate and to start sharing your own story? Yeah. So I heard you ask this question and I was kind of trying mm-hmm. to think back, like if there was like a specific moment or a time in my life that kind of compelled me to do it. Um, and the one thing, and it actually came up on like a, Facebook memory a few days ago. And I was like, that was it. And it was, I was going to an infusion appointment for my Remicade and I was taking the elevator up to like, I think I was only going to like the third floor, but I was in the elevator. It was just me and some old man. And he looked at me like disgusted. And he goes, young thing like you should be using the stairs. And I Mm. 
was like literally speechless. So I got to my floor, I walked out of the elevator and I just started bawling. And I called my husband and I just cried. But then once I like stopped crying, I got angry. Like I mm-hmm. just kept thinking like, how dare he? Like he has no idea what my life is like, what my story is like. Like I am at a hospital, <laughs> like. Yeah, and I, I have an appointment. I <laughs> Yeah, like I posted this big long post on Facebook as a rant about, you know, invisible illnesses and explaining how, you know, if I had taken the stairs, I would have been out of breath and barely able to walk the rest of the way to my infusion because, you know, at that point I still had anemia pretty bad and it took my energy away from me all the time. So from that post, though, you know, I felt like I needed to explain myself, which I didn't, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I had a pretty positive response to that. So I had a bunch of people, you know, reach out to me, some not necessarily, you know, even that knew what was going on with me, um, you know, and talking to me about like, they have this chronic illness or they have this and, you know, that they like related to it. And then as time kind of went on and I started meeting people organically that had IBD, um, you know, it, and I, I started to get involved in the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, you know, I kind of just like, I knew that I needed to like start sharing my story. Um, and mm-hmm. my, uh, there was kind of two people, um, that I had met that had IBD and one was this girl, Leslie, that I met in Minneapolis. Um, and she was the one who stopped, who told me to stop Googling everything, which was probably the best <laughs> advice I'd ever gotten in my life. Yeah. Um, but then the other was, um, it's, it's my husband's cousin's now wife. So girlfriend mm-hmm. at the time. So we're cousins. That's just what we say. Um, <laughs> her name's Taylor. She lives in Cleveland. Uh, she lives in Cleveland and she has, she's always been very open about her story. And she's just kind of inspired me to like, you know, stop being so, you know, closed up about it and how like when she shared it, her story with me, like it really, it really opened my eyes. And that was kind of when I started to know I wasn't alone. So, mm-hmm. um, I just like felt so alone and isolated when I first got my diagnosis. So it was just like a part of me that I didn't want people see to see that was like affecting my life and how, you know, how much I was struggling with it, not just with the Crohn's symptoms, but also like the mental health aspect of it. Um, so, you know, kind of my goal with sharing my story was to, you know, help at least one person not feel so alone when they get Mm -hmm. that diagnosis or, you know, um, and I would say like in my experience since sharing it, like I never imagined the outpouring of love and support from the entire IBD community. Like sometimes now I feel much more comfortable posting things on my Instagram, as I like to call it, than Uh like my own (laughs) personal Facebook page. Um, So like since kind of opening up, you know, I've gotten a lot more opportunities um, with like, and my involvement in the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation has just kind of skyrocketed in the past few years. So um, this year, actually, uh, for Pittsburgh, I'm the Take Steps Adult Honored Hero, which is very exciting. (laughs) That is. Um, And last summer, I took a week off of work and I was a volunteer camp counselor at Camp Oasis. Oh, how um, wonderful. which is a, yeah, which is a, a summer camp, uh, that's a week long and it's just for kids that have IBD. So that was like one of the most heart wrenching and like heartwarming experiences I've ever had. Like I, I was diagnosed as an adult, mm-hmm. um, but some of these kids have had it since they were four years old and like when like I love all the IVD advocates we have like in this community, but I am so excited for some of these kids to, yeah. you know, come of age and start opening up because they're like some of the best humans, like not even just like kids, like they're 
some of the best like humans I've ever met. Like they're just amazing. <laughs> they end up with with a different outlook and just wise beyond their years and just yes, like amazing they've been through so much and their positive outlook on life just is it's amazing. They're the best. And if anybody knows any uh you know, kids with IBD, if you want to message me on Instagram, I will for sure put you in contact with somebody to get them to camp because it's life-changing, not only for the people that volunteer, but also just for the kids. Awesome. That is awesome. So if there was one thing you wish people knew about the disease that didn't, what would that be? So I think the biggest thing is just how different everybody's journey is mm -hmm. and how their journey is going to go. So, you know, some people with IBD are, you know, famous major league baseball players or magicians or gymnasts. Um, and others of us are on disability and cannot work or can only work part time or, you know, are in the hospital for weeks at a time. So that's the one thing is I feel like there's a lot of people that see, you know, the famous people that have IBD and they're like, mm -hmm. well, they're, they're living their life, you know, <laughs> yeah, they're fine. And it's just, everybody's case is so different. And that's why there's so many medications out there. And that's why yeah. it takes us so long to figure out what works for everybody. It's just that every single person is different. They have to be treated differently. You know, their symptoms, everything is insane. I mean, even just talking about our trigger foods, right. it's all over the place. <laughs> um, but that's honestly, probably the one thing is just everybody's different. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I think that's probably why I would imagine doctors feel so frustrated too, because they can't really give advice because nothing works the same for everybody. So it kind of puts them in a, a tough, a tough spot too. Um, because yeah, we are very different. So. <laughs> yeah. And I would be frustrated if I was a GI and I didn't know how to help people, but sometimes that's just the reality of it is it's a tough case. And you know, that's why clinical trials are also important. You know, I never thought mm -hmm. I would ever even consider, you know, being a quote unquote guinea pig. But, mm -hmm. you know, as I've failed two biologics for sure, possibly a third, you know, that's definitely in my radar of, you know, I could do something, it could work for me. Um, and then it could possibly help somebody else down the road. Yes. So. So now you're willing. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people want to keep up with your IBD journey and learn more about your cake baking, where can they find you online? So for my Crohn's journey, I mostly utilize my Instagram. So it's uh, at chronically fabulous. So that's the C R O H fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little play off of chronically fabulous. Um, and then for my cakes, um, I have a, I have an Instagram at caked by Rhino. I have a website um, and a Facebook for that. Uh, but yeah, as far as Crohn's, I, I am active on Twitter. Um, mm -hmm which is at Sammy Brad. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and that I mostly post about, you know, baking crone stuff and the occasional, uh, you know, mom moment or something. <laughs> like Got to have a few of those. <laughs> yes, for sure. I'll put all those links in the show notes so that people can click and find you and, and follow with what you're up to. Awesome. Now, is there anything that I, we covered a lot. Is there anything I didn't ask that you wanted to share today? Um, so really the only other thing I think I could add, um, would be, you know, it kind of goes along with like everybody's different, but for those like stop telling everybody that it could be worse. So 
For those of us mm-hmm. that have Crohn's, we know that and we understand that our situation could be worse, but every single IBD patient deserves to live a full life and one where they can pursue their passions, one where they can be understood and one where they can be heard. So, you know, most of us advocates aren't raising awareness, you know, to get attention. Mm -hmm. It's because we want the awareness so that one day, you know, these six, seven, eight year old kids aren't giving a lifelong diagnosis anymore. Um, Yes. And another note is just stick up for yourself. (laughs) Um, If you don't think you're getting answers or you don't think a doctor is listening to you, you need to stick up for yourself. Um, Doctors love when you play a big part in your journey. Um, Mm -hmm. I think since I've stuck up for myself and things like that, I've gotten better quicker because I'm more involved. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to try things, but I'm also pushing back on them. So Mm -hmm. please stop telling us it could be worse. We know that, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but we still deserve to live our, live a life that we love. So that's, that's really it. (laughs) Very well said. I like that. Well, thank you so much. This is, I think it's so valuable. I know I gain a lot every time I talk with someone and learn a little bit about another person's journey. And so I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with me and share your story today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.cronesfitnessfood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.